strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. Hi, welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Jen. And I'm Robin. Tonight I'm going to tell you the story of the Road Hill House murder and one of London's first detectives. So I'm going to tell you this story, but I will tell you it's heavily based upon a book called The Suspicions of Mr. Witcher. W-H-I-C-H-E-R, not Witcher, like... Like the witch. Not like a witch. Like, which one is it? Er. Witcher. Yeah. Yeah. Witcher. Got it. Right. Uh, By Kate Summerscale. It's also uh, was turned into a a BBC series, I think, as well. Anyway, I did not watch the BBC series. Mm -mm. And I've only just begun the book. But Um, I already dug deep. I've never heard what you're talking about, so I'm intrigued at all. Yeah. So um, this is the story of a murder committed in an English country house in 1860 and perhaps the most disturbing murder of its time. The murder of Francis Seville Kent, known as Seville, rocked society to its very core. Seville was only three years old when he was murdered. Hmm. He was found murdered at his family's country estate. The subsequent search for the killer nearly destroyed the career of one of the first and greatest detectives in London. He actually is the inspiration for the detective fever that ran throughout England and set the course for the entirety of detective fiction. Cool. The detective called to investigate was Jonathan Jack Witcher, one of Scotland Yard's first detectives. It was a murder of unusual horror, which threw suspicion on almost everyone within the house. For the country as a whole, the murder at Road Hill became kind of a myth a dark fable about a Victorian family and the dangers of detection. In the mid-19th century, the detective was a recent invention. The first fictional sleuth, Auguste Dupin, uh, appeared in Edgar Allan Poe's The Murders in the Room Morgue in 1841, and the first real detectives in the English-speaking world were appointed by the London Metropolitan Police in the next year, 1842. The officer who investigated the murder at Roadhill House, Detective Inspector Jonathan Witcher of Scotland Yard, was one of the eight men who formed the fledgling force. Whoa. Witcher was born in 1814 in Camberwall, London, the son of Rebecca and Richard Witcher. I'm sorry. What? Richard Witcher? Richard Witcher. (laughs) I said it. I know you did. I totally pulled it off. (laughs) You did. And it's awesome. I'm just like, I'm sorry, what? Richard Butcher. Anyway, it just came right out. I didn't even realize it was weird till you just said it. Anyway, after working as a laborer, he passed the physical and literacy tests and joined the Metropolitan Police in September of 1837 and became a police constable. By 1841, he was living in the police dormitory at the station house at Gray's Inn. By August of 1842, he and seven other men joined the newly formed detective branch at Scotland Yard. Richard quickly received a promotion to Detective Sergeant. Witcher was reportedly described by a colleague as the Prince of Detectives. Charles Dickens, who met him once, described him as shorter and thicker set than most of his fellow officers, marked by smallpox scars and possessed of a reserved and thoughtful air as if he were engaged in deep arithmetical calculations. Arithmetical? Arithmetic. Like he was always doing math (laughs) in his head. He just, I guess he just had like a certain quiet stern grape brain he had a brain, brain grape. grape right yeah like he just seemed like he was always his brain was always busy with something that wasn't the world around him yeah that's awesome yeah hi everybody i'm katie seagal and i'm kurt sutter and welcome to our new podcast 
called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. <laughs> Podcasts on yeah, podcast your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. In May of 1851, Witcher was accused actually of entrapment when he and Inspector Lund saw John Tyler, a convict who had been transported to Australia as a criminal, but had recently returned to England. He, they ran into him in Trafalgar Square. Witcher was like, hey, this guy is like up to no good. Baseline. Like he, I arrested him. He's like piece of shit. Like we should watch him. So they basically do the first stakeout. So Witcher and Lund decide that they're going to watch Tyler and see what he's up to. They watch him meet with this man, William Cotty, another known criminal. And he, they sit together on a bench in the mall opposite the London and Westminster Bank in St. James Square. Witcher and Lund watch the two as they return to the same bench every day for six days and watched the bank. Eventually, on June 28th, 1851, they caught the two red-handed as they ran from the bank having robbed it. The Times criticized the police for allowing the crime to have taken place and not oh, preventing it. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. They, they did like, a stakeout beforehand. Yeah. They caught them. And if you, you can't arrest someone before they do a thing. You can't right? arrest anyone for sitting on a bench. You just can't. Yeah, Unless they're I mean, doing something really weird there. Oh, okay. You know? Are they pooping? Are they doing drugs? Are they nude? Then they just let them be. Everybody poops. I think, even I in Victorian I think, London. I think they would just get away with like a little like warning. Right. A, a slap yeah. on their wrist. But they exactly. knew these guys were up to no good. And they caught them. And they were criticized for it. So this is during a time basically that the detectives are new and they're impressive. But people are a little skeptical, skeptical of them. Yeah. Right. So... Witcher also pursued criminals who counterfeited coins, forged signatures and checks and money orders, as well as pickpockets and con men. In 1854, Witcher was involved in the capture of the valet who stole 10 pictures, including The Virgin and Child by Leonardo da Vinci, a painting that was then valued at 4,000 pounds. I cannot even imagine what that's let's, worth today. Let's do it. Where's my... <laughs> Also, like, not for nothing, they sound pretty awesome right. for, like, all of these counterfeits and all these – and not having the technology they have now to do that. That's a – they're working nonstop. Not even talking about, non-stop. like, the lack of technology. There is no uh, book about being a detective. <laughs> they're just winging it. You know, like, I, they is... can't look back at Sherlock Holmes' books and figure out how to be a sleuth. This valet and his accomplices were unable to sell the pictures, and they were discovered under one of the arches of Blackfriars Bridge. Like, they actually stole all the shit. And put it under a, and like put a it troll? Under, they, yes, like a troll. Jesus. Not the troll doll people. No. Like a classic troll that lives like, under a bridge. Anyway, because that's a real thing. All kinds of trolls, people. Internet trolls, bridge trolls, troll dolls with a jewel in the belly. Scratch snips trolls. 
Whatever. I mean, regardless, let's get back Sorry. to Mr. Witcher. Anyway, Witcher was promoted to detective inspector in 1856 when Italian revolutionaries organized by Felice Orsini tried to assassinate Napoleon III in 1858 in Paris, Witcher took part in the hunt to track them down. In 1859, he investigated Bonwell, the married rector of St. Philippe the Apostle in Stepney, and his lover, Miss Lizzie Yorith. A clergyman's daughter were charged with murdering their illegitimate son. Oh. Bonwell had paid an undertaker 18 shillings to bury the dead child secretly in a coffin with a deceased stranger. I'm just saying, I read through some of these crimes and I was like, yo, Victorian England? Pretty fucking shady. Anyway. And this guy. He's like a part of all. He's catching these people like left and right. It's insane. He never sleeps. He, he he never sleeps. How much or how much Earl Grey tea does he drink? He he's like how freaking, many pots a day? Because he doesn't have a tea bag back then. Remember, it's in a pot. Mm-hmm. Teapot, short and stout. <laughs> you said tea bag. Sorry, I, I certainly did. I went there for a minute. In early 1860, Witcher caught Emily Lawrence and James Pierce, who had stolen twelve thousand pounds worth of jewelry from jeweler's shops in Paris by examining the valuable items on trays and then palming them. Detective Inspector Jonathan Jack Witcher's fame had spread, and he was at the height of his powers when, in 1960, he was sent by Scotland Yard to assist the local police in the small village of Road in investigating the murder of three-year-old Francis Seville Kent. Mm, little Frank. He had a reputation for cracking the most difficult of cases and arrived in Wiltshire with the nation's hopes resting on his shoulders and quietly confident of success. By this time, Witcher had already solved several notorious crimes and had gained a reputation for being able to solve the most difficult ones, as we just talked about. Mm -hmm. A lot of really high profile. He's in the papers a lot. He's super fancy. He is the basis for the British detective. Anyway, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about now we're going to move into some darker... True crime. Trigger warning. Trigger warning child murder. Okay. Francis Seville Kent had been taken from his nursemaid Elizabeth Goh's bedroom during the night of June 29th, 1860. And his body was found in the next morning dumped in the outside privy. Privy. uh, Toilet. The toilet for all those of you who don't go to the Renaissance Fair often. The privy that was used by the servants in the garden of the family's house. His throat had been cut among other injuries. Local police superintendent Foley believed that the nursemaid, Elizabeth Goh, who had responsibility for Francis Kent, who slept in her room, must be involved in the murder. His theory was that she and a lover, possibly the child's father, had woken the child up and had killed him in order to silence him. That was what I was thinking. I was like, the only way to make him stop crying is to... At the same time, opening a window to make it look as if an intruder had gained access to the house and had killed the child. During the early part of the investigation, a heavily blood-stained nightgown had f- been found lodged in the chimney of the house. Superintendent Foley ordered that this should be replaced so that they could keep a watch on it, hoping that the murderer would return to destroy this crucial piece of evidence. This went wrong when two constables ordered to watch over the nightgown were locked in the kitchen. Oh. Before they were released, the nightgown had vanished. Oh, how convenient. Hmm, interesting. Foley was afraid that the incompetence of his officers might result in punishment for him and for them. And as a result, he deliberately did not inform the authorities of the find and its subsequent disappearance. 
Dissatisfied by the lack of progress, Superintendent Foley and his men, the local magistrates, asked the Home Office for assistance from Scotland Yard. It was only after a second request was received that Witcher, then the most senior and best known of the detectives at Scotland Yard, was sent. The case had received a great deal of coverage in the national press, and Witcher arrived in Wiltshire, knowing that the nation was watching him and expected him to solve the case. Witcher concentrated his investigation on the missing nightgown belonging to 16-year-old Constance Kent. She was the murdered child's older half-sister from the father's first marriage. There was also a lot of circumstantial evidence against her. The circumstantial evidence was that a lot of people said that she hated him, that she delighted in picking on him. He's three years old. Causing him pain. And she was 16? Yes. The magistrates ordered her arrest and gave Witcher seven days to prepare his case. Witcher then requested the assistance of a detective sergeant from Scotland Yard, becoming the first police inspector to make such a request. Her father, Samuel Seville Kent, engaged the services of an experienced barrister to defend his daughter. Constance Kent was released on bail, and the case against her was later dropped due to lack of evidence. The nightgown, a crucial piece of evidence, was never found, and Superintendent Foley never told Witcher about its discovery. The national newspapers strongly supported young Constance and were very critical of Witcher, but as long as the crime went unsolved, the inhabitants of Road Hill House were cast variously as suspects, conspirators, and victims. Witcher returned to London, where he was seen as a failure because he had failed to solve the case and thus damaged the reputation of the detective branch. It took some time for his reputation to recover. But after he had retired about five years later, in April of 1865, Constance Kent was prosecuted for the murder of her younger half-brother. She had made a statement confessing her guilt to an Anglo-Catholic clergyman, the Reverend Arthur Wagner and she expressed to him her resolution to give herself up to justice. He assisted her in carrying out this resolution and gave evidence of this statement to the magistrates. The substance of the confession was that she had waited until the family and servants were asleep, had gone down to the drawing room and opened the shutters in the window, had then taken the child from his room wrapped in a blanket that she had taken from between the sheet and the counterpane in his cot, leaving both of these items undisturbed, and left the house and killed him in the privy with a razor that she had stolen from her father. Her movements before the killing had been conducted with the child in her arms, so it had been necessary to hide matches in the privy beforehand so that she could have a light to see by during the act of murder. The murder was not a spontaneous act, it seems, but one of revenge against the second Mrs. Kent for her treatment of Constance's mother. And it was even suggested that Constance had, at certain times, been mentally imbalanced. No. So there was so a pack of matches so she could see what she was doing. Yeah. So premeditated, mm-hmm. certainly. Yeah, planned. The second wife was the governess for the children. Oh. And the first wife had died suddenly. So the nanny. Daddy married the nanny. Right. The Road Hill case turned everyone detective. It riveted the people of England, hundreds of whom wrote to the newspapers, to the Home Secretary, and to Scotland Yard with their solutions. It helped to shape the fiction of the 1860s and beyond. The Victorian detective was a secular substitute for a prophet or a priest. In a newly uncertain world, he offered science conviction stories that could organize the chaos. He turned brutal crimes, the vestiges of the beast and man, into intellectual puzzles. But after the investigation at Road Hill, the image of the detective darkened. 
Many felt that Witcher's inquiries culminated in a violation of the middle-class home, an assault on privacy, a crime to match murder he had been sent to solve. Privacy? He exposed the corruptions within the household, sexual transgressions, emotional cruelty, scheming servants, wayward children, insanity, jealousy, loneliness, and loathing. The scene he uncovered aroused fear at the thought of what might be hiding behind the closed doors of other respectable homes. Many feared that their own transgressions may be made known and that the goings-on in their homes would not hold up to the scrutiny of a detective. Well, then keep your shit together. <laughs> like, hey, how about you don't kill kids? <laughs> My if, God. If you don't kill people and you don't steal shit, the detectives probably aren't coming for you. He wants nothing to do with you. He's too busy. <laughs> yeah. He's too busy. He's, He's like, too busy nothing, you're cool. okay, creating cool. the first stakeout. He's a busy man. His conclusions helped to create an era of voyeurism and suspicion in which the detective was a shadowy figure, a demon, as well as a demigod. Witcher would become the prototype for many great fictional sleuths, from Dickens's Inspector Bucket through to Colin Dexter's Inspector Morse. He was the Met's finest detective. And that is the story of Jack Witcher and the case that almost broke him. Just another notorious narrative. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of things that you can do to help us out. You can leave a positive review wherever you're listening now. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash notorious narratives, where you can access content that is exclusive for our patrons. And remember, keep it weird and never stop exploring.